Hi, I'm Brian Boger. Welcome to my podcast, Flipping the Lid. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, and well, just a human being like you. I've faced personal tragedy, significant trauma. I've dealt with shame, anger, and self-doubt, all of which have created a ripple effect of damage in my world. I'm grateful that I've learned the importance of looking and going inside to create, repair, unpack, and reach levels of success that I never believed possible. Now as a coach, keynote speaker, and author, I'm fascinated by the stories that have shaped some of our world's most significant and successful individuals. So we're gonna flip the lid and take a look inside the stories that have shaped their lives and success. And we'll be featuring a number of individuals who have literally flipped the lid in their lives and businesses. Welcome to Flipping the Lid. Let's go jump in. Welcome back, everybody. You know what we do here by now on Flipping the Lid. We really like to have raw, real conversations. We like to go inside the stories to really know what shaped people, what and how they moved through the struggles of their life. And today, though I don't know much about her story, I know we're going to jump in here in just a few minutes, but my wife actually brought attention to our guest today a few months back, and she just said, man, I stumbled across this woman's profile, and she's a doctor, and all she's doing is helping support women infuse positivity and body image positivity and body neutrality and getting people to just be really comfortable in their skin and helping with movement and really just helping people move through their lives. Because again, we know the things that keep us stuck are the things from the connected to the trash from our past. Now, she really effectively helps people move. And though I don't know much about her, I do know that she's a mother of three and she's an absolute badass. She was on one of her other shows and her energy, I guarantee, is going to be infectious. Dr. Lisa Folden, how are you today? I am so well. That was such a cool introduction. Thank you. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I just like to speak from my heart and how I see people. And you showed up so big in such a small window on our show. And as we've done dug deeper into your world, it's just a consistent thing. You just seem to jump into a lot and have a lot of impact. And so that's what I felt from you so far. And those are my words, but if you wouldn't mind telling us who you are in your words. Thank you. Yeah. Well, like you said, I'm a mom of three. I'm married. I am a licensed physical therapist and I am um, an anti-diet health and body image coach. So I primarily work with women, but, you know, men have body image struggles as well, um, for sure. Uh, but I love that work. Um, that's what I'm passionate about. Uh, I started out as a very traditional physical therapist. I was an exercise instructor. I like fitness. I like health and wellness. Um, but, you know, through my own story and working with other people, I kind of learned much of what I believed about health and wellness was not accurate. <laughs> and so I had to really shift, change, unlearn, apologize, uh, you know, accept that apology for myself and make some changes in the way that I uh, showed up in the world and the way that I worked with clients and patients and even you know, my own family and loved ones. So uh, I'm a Detroit girl, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, uh, relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina about 14 years ago. So this is home now. But, um, you know, I'm, I love what I get to do. I think I'm very rare in that I actually have a career that I'm super passionate about and nothing ever really feels like work. It feels really good to do what I do. So I feel very blessed and fortunate and 
you know, I just have a great support system around me. And, um, you know, this work is just really important and I feel like it can really impact people's lives. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. You know, you, you like really sparked up when you said you're a Detroit girl. Yeah. Detroit. What does Detroit mean to you? Oh, it's everything. It's home, you know, and, and there's always this little, you know, tinge of like, because I left, you know, I, I moved away. I like I started a whole new life somewhere else. But um, Detroit is always in my heart. Uh, a couple of my siblings are still there. A few family members, extend, extended family are there. Um, but it's just a it's a city that has a, gets a bad reputation. Right. Because it's tough. It can be tough. Um, but growing up there, it really just helped me believe in myself. I'm just being honest. Like you see a lot. I saw a lot. I grew up in extreme poverty. I grew up, you know, my mom, uh, who was, uh, passed away now, she had a drug problem and we saw a lot, went through a lot. I'm the oldest of uh, seven kids, you know, so I, I have a long story before <laughs> my story into like my career, my profession, but, um, it really just made me. So it, you know, Detroit will always be my home deep down in my heart. Um, no matter how often I get back there. So yeah, Detroit means a lot to me. I love it. I love exactly every element of how you answered that question. You know, here's the thing. We like to know those stories long before the career as well, because I think that's a big part of who you are and what you do and why you do what you do for who you do it for. Yeah. Right. There's so many elements involved in the ways that were shaped and patterned. And you, you like just subtly embedded a number of things. I know. I know. (laughs) Almost just completely minimizing some of the impact of some of those things good and bad right yeah so i'd love to just kind of start in a couple of the places and i mean oldest to seven talk about that what was that like for you what was your experience as being literally the oldest of seven kids i'm one of two i can't imagine right so it was crazy um it was crazy and i remember growing up thinking like oh my god (laughs) i would never do this like this is insane I hate it. My house is always loud. That was a part of the, I hate to say this, but that was a part of my um, desire to leave. <laughs> like, I got to get out of here and get my own space. And um, so after I went to college, I never, I never moved back home, but um, it was chaotic. It was crazy. And it definitely shaped me. Uh, so my mom used to say, she, she had me when she was really young. She was 15. So she used to tell people we grew up together. <laughs> and and we did, in a sense. It and did. We did, right? And she had so many children that I became a secondary caregiver. So that, you know, there was some animosity, you know, with that. Because, of course, I want to be a teenager and live my life, but I'm taking care of kids. Um, but also it taught me um, a, a superior level of responsibility at a very young age. And, you know, the, the, the negative side of that is there are things in your childhood you miss out on when you have to kind of grow up fast, right? But the positive side of that is... I think I was well ahead of my peers with maturity and, and organization time management. And that helped me soar in my career and in my education. So, you know, silver linings, taking the good with the bad. But it was it was insane. It was chaotic. The funny thing is, though, most of my life up until I really started having children at around 29, 30, I still wanted a big family. <laughs> I wanted to have four kids. I stopped at three because I was like, all right, I'm so much I can't do that. But <laughs> you knew your wall. I, I was like, all right, we can come up against the block. Can't do it again. But um, but I saw the value even then when I was in the thick of it and kind of hated it and was exhausted being a big sister. I saw the beauty in that chaos and that big family and having all those people to lean on. 
And so I, I still wanted a large family. And the cool thing is me and all my siblings are very close. We have a really great relationship. Everybody is doing so well, which is phenomenal considering some of the circumstances we grew up in. So, um, so yeah, that, that is a huge part of who I am and, and, and the nurturer I've become, the mother figure, the, all of that, it came from, from that upbringing. So I don't, I don't hate it anymore. I love it and appreciate it. Well, and I can totally appreciate that you've been able to dig deep enough to find and discover the treasure and be able to celebrate where and how it was shaped by your trash pressure. It's beautiful that you're able to see that, talk about it through that lens. But I also want to acknowledge something that's real, right? Mm -hmm. When, When you have, whether it's a spoken or unspoken expectation to grow up faster than many kids would in an environment that exists, it puts pressure it puts expectation to yeah. your point there becomes resentment yeah. and some things that can develop as a result of that. And just because you can carry that weight and just because right, you have strength as a result of it doesn't mean that that wasn't difficult right? or difficult to shed the layers of what that also taught you because of the patterns that were created as a result. Of it. Absolutely. And so what I would love if you're willing to go there is if you can help me understand that what age did you become aware that this was kind of an unspoken expectation uh-huh. that you needed to become kind of a co-parent? Oh, gosh, I was young. I mean, I was by the time I was in 11, my mom had all six of her children. I have an additional sister uh, from when my dad remarried. But uh, yeah, I would say around 11 or 12. I knew it right then. And it's funny because I have an 11 year old daughter going on 12. And I that's when I realized like I was in the thick of I was changing diapers at 11. I was babysitting kids. My mom would be gone and I would be there with kids. And it was like, wow, I am like a partner, a spouse. I didn't make the connection about that until a couple of years after. But I, I knew around 11 or 12 that I was almost as responsible for my siblings as my mother was. And that I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. But I did feel the obligation you know, I felt similar to how I feel with my own children. I obligated to take care of them. I brought them into the world with my siblings. I didn't bring them into the world, but I knew that they didn't ask to be here. And I knew that it was partially my job to protect them. So yeah, I was about 11 or 12 when I recognized that. And yeah, that some of the jewels and treasure I can pull out of it now is from years of therapy and <laughs> being older now. It's like unpacking stuff. Right. Completely. Because back then I didn't know it was just my circumstance and I didn't really know any different. So I just I just played the hand I was dealt. So I I I tried to take them under my wing. I tried to be, you know, a very supportive and nurturing big sister. I think most of them would say I was. Some of them might (laughs) have a different feeling. But um, but yeah, I was I I knew that as a preteen that I was responsible for lives. So. So, yeah. so when, when you realized that and through the couple of years that followed, mm-hmm. do you remember the feelings that you experienced then? Oh yeah. I remember being angry and I used to feel like things weren't fair. And I told that to my mom. Um, and I, I remember this one particular altercation. Uh, I think I got popped for this one, like in the face because I said, <laughs> Oh, this is going to be bad. But I said, I didn't lay down on my back and have these children. So why am I taking care of them? Oh, and she was like, what? you know, back in the day when, you know, you beat your children and stuff. So <laughs> it was just weird. Like I, I knew this wasn't like, right. Like I'm not supposed to be doing this, 
but I didn't see another way. And there were these little people that needed me. Like I said, I was changing diapers. Like my last three siblings, they're like each 11 months apart. So it was like babies. (laughs) It was like three little babies in the house, you know? So there was a lot, there was a lot of responsibility and you're right. A lot of resentment. I had a lot of resentment toward my mother. Um, we were wonderfully able to like heal our relationship in my adulthood and, and we were very close, you know, uh, prior to her passing. So that is wonderful. But that was a that had to come full circle because it started out real negative And I had a lot of resentment towards her. I was disappointed in a lot of her choices. Um, I was just, you know, I just felt like, why are you doing this? Like, you know, why are you having all these kids? Why can't you get your life together? I, I was very judgy. And then as I got a little older, I learned more about her story and I'm like, oh, she was literally doing the best she could with what she had. Like the fact that she loved us was enough. You know what I mean? Because she she came from a situation where she endured a lot of trauma and young, as a child and saw a lot of things she wasn't supposed to see. So understanding that as I got older helped me really forgive her and it opened the, the door for us to have a, a much better relationship. But during those years, Oh, I, I would almost say I hated her. I was upset. I was angry. I felt like it wasn't fair that other people, other friends and kids could just go like live their little fun lives. And I was like taking care of kids all the time. So, yeah, that, that was those were tough years for sure. My my preteen to teenage years were like it was a lot of that kind of icky, you know, and you already have that as a teenager. Right. Because it's just tough, you know, growing and changing and you know, hormones and all that. But that was an added layer for me that was really tough. Well, I mean, really between the ages of seven and 14, it's such a significant development for for all of us. Right. Right. And then you layer in all of this really unspoken, but, but necessary pressure. Yeah. Right. That, that really to your viewpoint was probably accurate given the situation that you were really the only one that could. Right. And so whether, whether you saw it as a choice or not, you did live in it and mm-hmm. chose to view it for what it was, which was caring for your siblings. Yeah. But all of that still creates additional layers of armor for you because mm-hmm. a kid who wants to be developed, look, every human wants to be safe. Right. They want to be protected. Yeah. Right. They want to be seen and understood uh-huh. and they want to be connected. Yeah. And given the variables that you just outlined, here's the reality. You weren't really seen and understood until far later in life when you had to have that come full circle. Yeah. You, which means you also didn't feel safe. So you weren't protected and you certainly weren't connected. Right. And so your armor went up, mm-hmm. which makes sense, right? Yeah. Pushed a lot of stuff down for a long time to be able to deal with the stuff that, right, needed to be dealt with in front of. And you weren't having the emotional maturity at that time to be able to process through all the variables that were happening. Right. For sure. And so I really thank you for going there and sharing that because it it is, it's a pressure that I, that many people can identify with, right? Whether it's the oldest of seven or, you know, the youngest that's got disabled children, or, uh, other siblings right. or whatever, right? Like there's these variables that people identify with. I'm, I'm curious. You say, I, I ran away. I wanted to get out of there. I never went home, right? Yeah. What did that next period of your life look like? So it was... There were there were two sort of uh, ends of the spectrum for that, because when I was preparing to run away and leave and go off to college, uh, my mother, who had been um, drug free for many years, had a relapse and I almost didn't go away for that reason. Um, and God bless my grandmother, who is, is no longer with us, and my aunt, um, who was, you know, the last part of my motherhood sort of triangle. 
um, they were very much like, listen, you can't fix her. You have to go. So they they kind of pushed me, gave me that little shove. I needed to leave. But that was really hard because I didn't know what I was leaving my siblings to. Um, but I went and it was the, the absolute best decision of my life. Um, it was an opportunity for me to really spread my wings and get to know myself. Uh, I, I love college. Like I, I went to Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan, right outside Grand Rapids. So I was still, you know, two hours from home. I could get back home if I needed. But I love that period of my life, mostly because you get to be like an adult without all the adult responsibilities. Right. So that was cool. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I'm grown, sort of calling my aunt asking for money. Um, but <laughs> but it was a great opportunity for me to kind of shed some of that weight. And and tap in and focus on myself because I had never really had that opportunity for real. So I really came to be in college like I grew up there like I, I was like, OK, I left college like this is it, you know, and then I stayed at that school for uh, graduate school for my uh, physical therapy doctorate. And it was just um, I don't know, it was, just, it was a home away from home. I loved it. I, I loved everything about it. That part of my life was really beautiful. I was blooming. And even though things were still happening back home, my aunt and my grandmother were right. I couldn't fix her and she did the work on her own to get where she needed to be. So so it was good. It was a really good, good season for me. So that's amazing. Curious, how long did you carry the guilt for leaving? Oh, my gosh. I didn't shed that guilt. So I was 18 when that happened. I didn't shed that guilt until I was probably 27, 28. So at least like 10 years. Yeah. I felt so bad. And even though, like I said, my siblings were matriculating and doing pretty well. My baby sister, she was struggling for a while, but they were all doing pretty well. But I still felt like, oh, I left them in that very unknown, dark situation. Um, so yeah, it took me years, <laughs> years to get over that and forgive myself. So I'm curious. I'm going to, I'm going to go somewhere real fast. Cause I, I find it fascinating. Mm -hmm. Do you know the words that you just said? Which ones? <laughs> you said I left them in a sort of unknown situation. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really unknown. I know. I know. You knew the situation. I did. It was unknown because you didn't have control and influence. Right. None, which, yeah. Uh-huh. You got it. And so, so the layer of protection that was there extended beyond yourself, mm -hmm. which also happens in this situation because you had a protective nature mm -hmm. that you carried weight of armor for for another decade after you left yep. because of what you thought your role was in responsibility to protect them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it spoke to my more controlling nature in general following that situation. Um, and it spoke to my perfectionism and wanting to uh, have things perfect and in order and aligned and organized and my need for discipline because I grew up in such chaos. I joined ROTC in high school. Like everybody was like, why would you do that? I'm, there was something about it that was so attractive to me. This idea of getting dressed and having all my brass and being inspected. I like the idea of order, discipline, you know, things functioning as they should because my home was it's opposite of what you grew up in complete opposite so all of that stuff it absolutely shaped me for sure yep 
Yeah. I mean, I think, I think any situations that are forced upon people that cause them to do things that they might not have envisioned themselves doing might carry some resentment for, right? right. This exact thing can happen. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful to hear you talk about it because by the way, you don't know much about my story, but I was under such layers of control for 25 years mm-hmm. after the trauma that took place in my life. Wow. And it led to massive levels of destruction and me creating a lot of damage because I wasn't aware of what I was creating. I didn't know all the trash I was carrying. I was blind and unconscious to it at such a level that I was burying everybody in my world in my own trash and had no clue. Wow. Right. So I say this to you through a lens of understanding and appreciation for your willingness, one, to continue to go deeper and two, to be so vulnerable and authentic and your understanding of the connecting patterns is beautiful because this is a perfect demonstration of the importance of going inside. And so at what age, I know you say that college and going through, right, to get your doctorate and everything that you did, right, was beautiful. You said it was this amazing growth period in your life. When did you actually start to go inward? (laughs) Oh, gosh, that that really didn't start happening until, um, gosh, I'm trying to decide if it was when I was preparing to get married around 25 or it was when I was becoming a mother around 29. Um, it was somewhere in that realm because that made me look at things. I, I will, I'll lean toward when I became a mother, to be quite honest, because that was where I had to, I learned some things at that stage when I was pregnant with my oldest, um, that I wasn't aware of from my past. Um, I encountered a situation where I had to, I had to sort of reevaluate the way I was doing things, if that makes sense. And I, I had to, when I had my daughter and my mom came to visit, uh, I had these ideas of how that, that would go, what that would look like and completely different with completely wrong. <laughs> and I had to face some realities and some truths and kind of remind myself, like I knew what this was beforehand and expecting things to be completely different in one trip it wasn't going to happen. So I had to come face to face with some expectations. Um, and that is what caused me to dig deeper. I learned, like I said, I learned a little bit about my father and his past that I was not informed of as a child. And then that having that realization with my mother, um, that forced me shortly thereafter. I think it was when I started therapy because <laughs> it's like I have to unpack some of this stuff and really get get to the root of all of like you say the trash and the the stuff that was you know causing me to be stuck and causing me to be uncomfortable and causing me to put expectations on people that they weren't even like able to like (laughs) live up to you know I was asking something from people that didn't even have it to give and I had to really unlearn that behavior and, and and find other avenues for addressing those issues within myself so so yeah I was like 29 <laughs> like crazy who, who were you placing expectations on um so some of the expectations were on myself some of them were on my mother uh some of them were on my husband at the time I because I had envisioned a life because I grew up in such chaos and I envisioned a very specific life for myself beyond that um, I definitely became controlling and stressed. I created like th- my own pressure and stress to live up to something and look a certain way and be a certain way because I didn't want it to look like that. 
you know, a lot of my motivation, I realized that my mom used to joke like, well, at least I showed y'all what not to do. And I used to be like, yeah, in some ways you did. <laughs> but a lot of my motivation was, I would say, like a negative motivation. It was like, work hard, do your best, don't be like that. And so I, I had this very um, black and white, narrow minded view of what my life was supposed to look like how it was supposed to be, how I was supposed to look, my family. And even to this day, that stuff is still blowing up in my face. <laughs> like, of course. you because you just don't have that type of control, that the control you think you have or that you want. Um, so giving up control has been a ongoing learning process for me and, and not having these expectations of myself, of other people. Again, recognizing what my mother went through she couldn't give me the things that I wanted. You know, I could express them to her and tell her how I was feeling and maybe she could make some shifts, but she didn't have it to give at that moment. You know, that took her going to therapy and it worked if there was some stuff. And then that's how we were kind of able to come together um, later. But yeah, there was a lot of unmet expectations and a lot of stress and pressure created because of it, for sure. At what point did you give yourself permission to chase who you are? and what you want in your life? Oh, gosh. You're good. These are good. I feel like I'm in a real therapy session. Um, <laughs> I would say a lot of what I was chasing, you know, was for me. I decided to be a physical therapist at 16, right? And I was serious about it. I loved it. And it, it happened to be, you know, the career of my dream. So I enjoyed that. So I started that process early, but when we talk about outside of like education and learning and achievement, because that was an escape for me, <laughs> right? You learn, you get. Well, and it was also a way to receive love, validation. There you go. Connection you through go. performance. There I mean, yeah. if you're not this and you're this, then you're going to attract and want to have people be around you, right? 100%. And so my life was guided by that for most, most of my life. I would say the shift for really exploring who I was as a person and emotionally and um, going beyond like just achieving things and going to the next level. I mean, that was at least in my late, that's probably been my mid to late thirties and I'm only 41. <laughs> so that, yeah, it's, it's new, it's newer. And um, some of it came with the shift in my career too. When I shifted away from like the very uh, traditional diet focus work really hard, wow. that whole mentality of work really hard and you can have and be anything you want to be, that was a part of my fitness and my health and wellness. And unraveling all of that, in addition to unraveling all of my, you know, the facade of like, just keep learning more, do more, be better, as opposed to like going within and seeing what I really need. All of that happened together at the same time. And so that's when I shifted to like, oh, like you're already enough. Like anything you do beyond that is just extra. <laughs> like you're already enough. You don't have to shrink yourself. You don't have to perform. You don't have to look like anything specific. Like you, you can tap into who you want to be and what you want out of life. And it doesn't have to look like the very cookie cutter fairy tale picture thing you had in your head since you were a little girl, you know? So yeah, that, that is literally still happening in my life. And it probably started about four or five years ago. That's beautiful. You know, I, I, I share a similar path, um, right? I, again, it's, it's one of those things that I didn't have a healthy model to understand what like 
tapping into who yeah. and who's around you mm-hmm. can really do in your life. Right. And I want to be really clear. I have amazing parents that are largely responsible for why I'm here. Yeah. But when I was losing who I was, the only thing I knew was to chase what the world told me to chase. Right. right? You should want money. You should want a good house. You should want a good car. You should want a hot wife, yeah. right? Like as a man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or a woman, it doesn't matter, <laughs> but you want to love. Right. But point is, like I always chase those things. Yeah. And it was all under the layer of control. It was all about doing more, doing more, doing more. And my equation used to be stress equals growth. Yeah. Right. And wow. and the more I loaded into my life, right, the more I thought I would grow. But really, the more I continued to push through and push down until ultimately for me, my trash can had a lid and a lock and a key on it. So nobody knew what I was dealing with. It. Wow. And, and the reality of it is, is it blew up at one point. Yeah. And it will. So <laughs> it will, it will. And it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so that's one of the things that I think is just really beautiful. What I'm really curious about is like, again, you can say so clearly, I didn't really lean in to give myself permission and have the worth and know that I'm worthy enough to chase exactly who I am and exactly what I want until my late thirties shit in my early forties, <laughs> I'm still working on it. Right. Right. Which, which I love how honest you are about that because there is no final destination, only constant evolution of self. Mm-hmm. But I would love to know between 29, when you started to go through this process of really starting to unpack and go inward, right? What were the signals in your life that started to tell you that the path you were on with your business, the way you were positioning diet and nutrition, the way that you were living your life, was not going to be sustainable or really help you accomplish who and what you want. Oh, yeah. So there, you know, there were many points as it relates to like uh, my own health and wellness and fitness. That story was um, after my third son, I nursed him. And so he was about 15 months. And after that, I started gaining weight. And, you know, you think about it now, that makes sense. I stopped nursing. So I wasn't burning those calories. I might gain a little weight, but it sent me into like, a whole fit. I was like lost, like, oh my God, I can't, I can't gain weight. I was in the process of trying to create a weight loss program. <laughs> so this not to mention the shift in hormones still and still adjusting as a oh, mom with three kids now, right? It happens within 15. Oh yeah. Like, you know, but you're supposed to carry it all, right? Right. You're supposed to be you're supposed to figure out how to do it all. You're supposed to be superwoman and you need to be, you know, you need to snap back and look great, manage these kids, run a business, be a great wife. Like you got to do it all. So uh, I started gaining weight and I just kind of went off the deep end. And I was like, you know, similar to what you said, like for me, it was like a no pain, no gain. You got to suck it up. You got to do it. You got to hit it hard. And so I started working out seven days a week. And there were 30 minute workouts, but they were seven days a week, no days off, literally. And I did that for like five, six months straight. And then I started eating all of my food out of these really small containers. And it was just to watch my portions. And after a few months, I lost about 17 to 20 pounds and I was feeling good (laughs) as far as getting the compliments and the feedback I wanted and the affirmations I wanted. But I wasn't feeling good because I was exhausted. And I woke up one day and I was like, all right, I have to peel this back a little bit, but I don't want to stop. So I was like, I'm going to work out five days a week instead of seven. And I'm just going to be mindful of my portions instead of eating out of the containers. And within a few months, I had gained back all the weight I lost and plus like another five pounds. I was defeated. I was sad. I was like distraught. I didn't understand why I could not figure out this formula because again, control, I can control everything. (laughs) So I thought, and so 
that made me kind of, I looked outside of myself first because I'm like, I need some information. I stumbled upon a book. It's called Health at Every Size by Dr. Lindell Bacon. And that was the first thing to open my eyes to this idea that, wait, maybe what I thought I knew about health and fitness and weight and fat and all of this is like wrong or skewed. And so I kept, I just kept digging. I went down the rabbit hole, book after book, after book, podcast after podcast, research study. And I started the process of unlearning what I had previously thought I knew about health and wellness. But that same process in my life is just unlearning the ideas about the roles and what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to look. And so in conjunction with walking away from like diet culture in my own life, and especially coming into like being a 40 year old, it's like really starting walking away from unrealistic expectations, unnecessary stuff that I don't need your pressure and your weight because you think I should be doing X, Y, and Z. Like I just, I gave all that stuff. I started giving all that stuff back as I was like giving diet culture back. And so that has been a very cool awakening because it's, it's not just about diets and fitness and health and all that. It's every part of my life, like letting go and looking at, you know, the part, the, the way I run my business, looking at, you know, the way I, I manage my family. It doesn't have to be what I thought it had to be. You know, um, my family and I walked away from organized religion, which is like, you know, anything about me <laughs> from the age of like nine and up, I was very, very much committed to the church. And I still share most of those, you know, beliefs, but I don't necessarily think it has to be expressed in that way anymore. Um, but also I grew up in chaos. So religion, God, spirituality was another outlet for me to kind of make it through, you know. So, you know, even the ship making that shift where, you know, we don't go to church every Sunday or not, that that was a huge twist and turn and change in my life that you wouldn't have been able to tell me at like 18 or 19 that that's what I'd be doing now. So it's been a lot of change, a lot of growth, um, a lot of thought, you know, behind like what I've always been doing. Is this like, am I doing this because I've always been doing it or am I doing this because it serves me and it makes sense and it feels right? And letting go of some of that has been hard, but also really, really freeing. I feel I feel far more free now at 41 in a larger body than I did at, you know, maybe 30 in a smaller body in a more controlled environment where things were a bit more structured for me. So that's been an interesting transition. Yeah. And I really appreciate the depth that you went into even there. You know, the reality of it is, is our external bodies offering are in a reflection of our internal selves yeah. and the layer of control that you had was a representation of the lack of safety you felt internally in your own skin. And your own 100%. So for you to be able to acknowledge that as I did this in my life, it actually only perpetuated and further amplified what I was now starting to realize from the diet yeah. side. And I genuinely believe in, in a lot of cases, right, that when people are aligned and they generally are intentional mm -hmm. and aware of the things that they're eating and feeding that their bodies will regulate to a natural size based on genetics and and wherever your your build is meant yeah 100 yet there's all of these expectations and you said all these things i was supposed to yeah. be right and i always call those the should right because should's a shame-based word because it implies that whoever you are whatever you're doing it's not great right. right and so that's an obvious reason that so many people who grow up under layers of armor and protection because of all the expectation, right, 
have often even more shame because it's connected so deeply to becoming who the world wanted them to be versus who they authentically yeah. are. And so it's a, mm-hmm. it is. I, I, I know that I fought for a long time in my life and, and you just so beautifully talked about the value of surrender mm-hmm. and where and how like letting things go has actually been very powerful mm-hmm. for you. I'm curious, where in your life are you still fighting? Oh, gosh. I am still fighting. <laughs> Literally, I just talked to my therapist yesterday so we can kind of <laughs> structure what was next on the agenda. <laughs> but I am still fighting. Um, you know, the body stuff is always ongoing. Again, you don't just arrive at this destination. We're like, oh, I just love myself so much and I'm wonderful. Like right. we have the ups and downs. So I still fight. Um, with my body image and and being content and at peace with the skin that I'm in, it is it is really hard when all the messages you see elsewhere tell you that you should be should be should be should be or could be doing this or could be smaller. So that you know, it's like a drug. You know, walking away from it. Or I, I used the example the other day. Diet culture is like that toxic ex that you shouldn't answer the phone for. But sometimes we're like, okay, let me just see what he's talking about. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I am I'm still fighting in that area of my life. Um, the beauty is that because I coach other people and I curated like a social media feed and really the real life people that I'm around, um, we're not really on that bandwagon anymore. It really helps me, but I still, that's a daily fight. Um, I'm still fighting as it relates to, with me for motherhood. Like I had a vision of motherhood looking a certain way and it has changed and shifted a bit. And, and I'm, I'm, happy with the change, but I'm also uncomfortable with the change. Um, so I'm trying to figure out the type of mother I want to be and how I want to show up for my children and, you know, what things I want them to know, how I want them. I, I just really want my kids to feel heard and seen and valued, but also guided and protected. <laughs> and it's really hard because I started out my motherhood journey as a very controlling mother, my my oldest child, you know, when she was little, she won't remember this, but when she was little, like we didn't have like candy and certain snacks in the house because it was very like. And that goes out the window at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You like get over it at some point. But I was a, it was a very controlled environment because I wanted things to look and be a certain way. And um, a lot of that was tied to diet culture, you know, for me as well. But I, I wanted it to look that way. And now that they're older, you know, a lot of my ideas have shifted and I, it became like real for me when my oldest was maybe seven or eight and I wasn't giving her access to like, you know, Doritos or Cheetos or candy. And she was taking snacks from other people at school because she did not ever have that. And it was like, okay, so we had to stop. <laughs> I'm like, this is all me. <laughs> I couldn't even blame my husband. For this. this is all me being super controlling with the pantry, the groceries and and so I had to shift the way I shopped and make sure she had access to things so that she one, she wouldn't feel it, you know, inclined to take it from anyone else. But two, really, so that she wouldn't grow up with the same issues that I had with food in her body and understanding that all foods can fit. You can have these things sometimes. And if you have access to them, then they're not like this treasure on a pedestal, you know, that you oh, want to binge on, but they're here so you can have them when you want them and you can have carrots other times or apples or whatever, you know, so that that shift. So I'm still working through some of the things in motherhood um, where I saw things looking, you know, being one way. These kids are such individuals. I have three kids and they are all so different. 
And I'm like, I feel like I have to be three different mothers. <laughs> like, what does this one need? Not with this one. It is, it, yeah, it's so much harder. And back to, you know, the earlier story, growing up as the oldest of seven kids, I thought motherhood would be a breeze for me. I thought because of my experience, motherhood would be simple. My kids would be amazing. And it's just like whatever, you know, just brushing the dust off my shoulder. Like, because I just got this. But it has not been easy. It has been one of the hardest things ever <laughs> in my life. And, you know, I would say my, my kids are typically developing. My my second oldest, she was born with a brachial plexus injury. So she had herbs palsy and I had to rehabilitate her. But I was a physical therapist. So, you know, that was pretty convenient. So in general, <laughs> they haven't come with a whole lot of like extra stuff. But just having these little humans you're responsible for with these vastly different personalities and vastly different desires and the rapidly changing world we live in, that has been kicking my butt. I just... So yeah, I'm still fighting some things with motherhood for sure because it just comes at you fast, right? It's like, well, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to uh, reflect something back to you. Mm-hmm. It is no wonder the layer of control that existed in your motherhood because it was the shift from having to raise children to getting to and choosing to raise children and the want desire and urge to be the best mother possible whereas you were in survival in raising your siblings it's a completely different environment and it is much less comfortable in some ways but the lack of control and the openness is actually what's going to allow you to continue to infuse who you want your kids to remember you as while you highlight who they are and teach them how to love and advocate for themselves because what you lacked in being seen and understood and being protected you recognize you can fill in so many ways beyond the armor and control that's going to protect Uh them In fact, it's actually about being exposed and open and having the empathy and compassion and understanding. And the word that you used, which is so beautiful, guy. Yeah. I feel like so many people are on this hamster wheel continually Mm -hmm. just walking the same pattern of chasing strategies and tactics to get whatever they want in their life and think that it's going to fix all the problems. But at the same time they continue to get hit have the same things happen to them and not ever be able to lower the armor and they'll remain trapped you're right right you have learned to drop and connect which is the strongest form of protection and so i would just be really curious like when did you realize in your motherhood journey that you could give yourself so much yourself so much grace empathy and compassion because you have the freedom to choose the path versus having to live in one that you didn't pick for yourself yeah that again that was a more recent development that's probably something that i i gained knowledge on um Gosh, my kids are 11, 9, and 7. So maybe when my oldest was (laughs) 8. So, 
it hasn't been long. You know, I've been I started blogging about motherhood um, and family and life uh, probably when she was four or five. And there was a shift in, in the way I wrote <laughs> the things I talked about, because um, I as much as I would say on the outside, it was always, you know, very much like, hey, we show up, we do our best. But really what I was living was it needs to be as close to perfect as possible. Um, and so it's taken me a long time. Again, that was some some therapy required uh, to understand that perfectionism is is so counterproductive to having a, a good experience as a mother. It's protection. Yeah. And but it's not actually protecting me. <laughs> It's driving me insane. That's the funny thing about our armor is we think it's protecting us, but it's incrementally crushing us the longer exactly. we exactly. And and that's what it was. It felt like a crushing, like, um, like I was never gonna be good enough. And and it was it was tough because what I realized I was exuding. I had this experience with a friend. She was she was a friend of my sister's who became my friend, but um, she said something to me like she insinuated that I was this really, really exceptional, perfect like mother and that she wasn't even comfortable being her, like being her normal self as a mother around me. And I was like, because <gasps> I had no idea that I was even giving that off to the world, that I really had this thing all figured out and I was perfect at it. Um, and so it forced me to look within, like, I don't want for another second for people to think that I'm perfect and that I got this uh, can I curse on here? Oh, okay. That I got this shit figured out because I do not. <laughs> so that was sort of the shift in my blogging and my showing up on social media is just being very honest. Like I do not know it all. Like every time I think I've learned the right thing, something changes. There's a shift. Somebody switches. Doesn't work. I'm like, I'm trying to be a gentle parent. That shit don't always work. <laughs> I'm like, there's so many things I have not figured out and I'm still sorting through. Um, so when she told me that, that was probably only, I'd say maybe 2019. And I was like, oh, okay. So people really, you know, I know people see your highlights on Instagram, but I was like, I need to show up. I need people to know like in the real and the raw, like there are some very tough days and some very tough moments. And I do not have this figured out and I am not perfect. I am not superwoman. I need a break. I've had, pull out breakdowns in front of my family like I just can't my kids catch me crying in the closet and I'm like you know what I was trying to have some private time but you found me so let me tell you I'm upset I'm tired I'm stressed out Imani is overwhelmed I have this whole list of stuff to do and the short amount of time to do it and I don't think I'm going to get it done and so showing up to to the world to my friends my circle my village and to my own children and my family just being honest about where I stand, that has been so cathartic, so healing for me because then it gives me the opportunity to show them I'm human, gives them the permission to be human. <laughs> and and that has been the best experience. Whereas what I thought was you hold it tight, you make it look good, you power through. And that that is like the worst thing to do. So yeah, still ongoing, ongoing. <laughs> It, you know what? It always is. I, I truly, I say the day I wake up and think I have it all figured out, I'm hoping that will literally be the last day on the planet or I'm going to get punched in the face the following day because I've got a bunch of people who are supposed to check me if that ever, if that ever that happens. Because It's not life. not life. And that's the one, uh, it's an Erica Badu lyric that I love. 
She says, the man that knows something knows that he knows nothing at all. <laughs> and that's like, I go back to that because I'm like, yep. Because <laughs> the more you learn, the, yeah, the more you realize you don't know. And it's like, but it's okay because there's no requirement to know it all. And I just, I, I wasn't brought up that way. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. That like, you know, that's just a funny, ironic thing that like, I wish, I wish we could just remove all the trash from people so quickly because what's ironic is the easiest most free most fulfilling way to live is when you're completely open when you know who you are and you are in complete alignment with who you are and allowing yourself to be in complete surrender to allow things to flow like the highest of high performers, even in moments of, of windows, that's what they describe as flow. Uh-huh. And people can become in a flow state with who they are if they can remove the results right. and learn to care for who they yeah. are versus, again, who the world told them who to be. Okay. So I would love because I want to shift into a little bit of what you do. But we don't have much time left with you. And so I'd love to really understand where and how did you see the most dramatic shift in impact within your communities with your shift in perspective and language? Oh, so Instagram, great place, just because I enjoyed hanging out there. And and if you go back to my first post, you can see <laughs> the wave of change and, you know, the changing of followers and the people kind of coming on board and asking questions and, you know, and then the connection with the uh other people in the anti-diet world and community. Um, but really the best place I've seen it has been with each of my clients because it's, I had a different perspective when I started out with this physical therapy thing. And again, I was an exercise instructor and my perspective was no pain, no gain. If you want it, go get it. Just keep working. Like, you know, it's going to happen no matter what. There was no, no excuses, never miss a Monday. You know, that was my thought process. Um, so when I shifted and I started, you know, working with clients one-on-one and I offer them a different perspective, it's been so cool to see them. Like just the other day I had a client, I was seeing her virtually. And, uh, one of the like inside jokes with physical therapists is like, you give clients physical therapy or uh, home exercise programs and they don't do them. (laughs) So we like, ha ha. Yeah. How are you going to get better without doing this? Blah, 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 blah. But what it turns into is this very intimidating scenario where you come in as the patient and you have to tell the therapist you didn't do what you were supposed to do or you lied, <laughs> say you did. And obviously we can tell. But I was talking to her and she was like, listen, I don't know what's going on, I, but I only did my exercises once this week. And she had like her head down in shame. And it was such a beautiful moment for me and then ultimately for her. I was able to like move that out the way. And I told her, I was like, look, look at me. I was like, you don't have to be ashamed of this. I was like, you are more than a body. Like you were dealing with 16 other things this week that took your attention and took your energy and took your focus. It is okay if you missed your exercises. I was like, and let's go deeper. We went through each of our exercises. I was like, let's talk about this. Is this doing something is this not serving you is this triggering you because she's also someone who's trying to like let go of diet culture is this triggering you in some way so we went through every exercise and we talked through how they might not be serving her 
what it made her feel like. I made her get back in her body, like stop, close your eyes, take a deep breath. What did it feel like to do that? Was there pain? Was it discomfort? Did it remind you of something? Was it very awkward? I was like, I told her, I said, we can throw this whole program away literally and start from scratch because ultimately with your healing, we're co-collaborators with your healing. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to enjoy what you're doing. I want you to feel like you're getting something out of it. And I do not want this to turn into this shameful weekly, like, oh, I didn't do. Oh, because you're a human and you get to miss days. You get to miss a Monday. Okay. You get to have excuses because sometimes life will take over. Right. And so what I want to do is make it easier for you to fit this into your life so that it's not this add on that you can just never see the path to making time for. So that has been so cool because the previous, like <laughs> the old Dr. Lisa <laughs> would very much be like, oh, you didn't do your exercises, you know, and, and almost snotty in a way like you have to do this if you want to get better so being able blame and shame right so being able to give people that freedom and that peace and that openness and that that letting them be more vulnerable with me has been so cool because they do better and they feel better and they get better because they don't feel all of that shame and i just don't believe you know the shame is the way to make anything better anymore that's how i that's how my exercise program used to be it's like get up there do it you know bust that fat it's like that I don't work like that anymore. I want to be loved on and, and feel good. And that, that's how I want my patients to feel. So I, I've been focused on intentionally identifying and removing sources of toxicity or yes. shame in my life for the last decade. And it's been the greatest investment. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, shame, even if you look at like uh, Hawkins scale of energy, it's like the lowest on the entire yeah. scale. Yeah. It's like even worse than sadness or depression. Shame is like a 20 and sadness is like a six. Wow. I mean, it's literally from an energetic scale. Shame is just so damaging. And so I appreciate your ability to talk about it so openly and to be so vulnerable and authentic because you give others permission to do the same thing, not only through your work, but just the way that you speak. And this is, you know, truly what I see for you, my friend. I mean, you're like this ray of sunshine. You're clearly this protector that goes around and takes care of everybody else and pours into everybody else's cups. So I'm curious, like, how do you fill your own light and how do you fill your own? Um, well, that has become increasingly important as the demands have risen with business and family. Um, so I am very intentional about um, uh, I do a whole like talk on self-care and all of that stuff, because I believe that a lot of us approach self-care as like we're the big glass and all the little glasses around us need us. So we go to the pitcher and we fill up and then we go and pour into all the little glasses and then we're empty. So I did this whole like, um, you know, illustration on Instagram one day where I put that big cup on top of the small cups and I took that picture and I just poured until it overflowed. So my goal is to overflow pouring into people versus pouring myself out and being empty all the time. And how I do that is I literally introduce joyful things into my everyday. And it might be something as silly as sitting on the porch watching birds having some tea, watching my favorite television show, listening to music. I've been listening to music so much while I like shower, get ready for work or get ready for bed. Um, any little thing that brings me joy, I just, I stopped denying it. I stopped denying myself that. I stopped scheduling it on the weekend. It's like every single day. So I pour into myself like that. I have really good girlfriends um, that like really just beef me up and lift me up and family um, I'm a brunch girl, so I'm meeting for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. I'm squeezing it in. If I got to get a babysitter, I'm taking time away from my kids, even when it's hard, because my kids are very 
demanding of me. So I'll leave and they'll be calling me a million times. And I'm like, are you safe? Are you okay? Mommy has to go. And I'm teaching them that because I want them to know I need my time away too so that I can be a better mother. I can't just sit up with you guys for days and (laughs) days without a break. So I do the things that I love and that I enjoy. I'm I'm into mystery novels and mystery TV. Uh, I'm finishing up The Walking Dead because I love it. Um, I am a prayer. My wife's going to do even more. She's a walking dead. So good. Um, I I meditate at least five days a week. I'm very much into prayer as soon as I open my eyes in the morning. So I'm just, I do things to fill my cup every day, all day. Instead of just waiting for the vacation, the spa, the weekend, like I, 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 I still do that stuff, but I infuse it into every single day to fill my cup. I love that. I love that. It's that's that's incredible. And I, I by the way, was expecting that answer because you can't be as as genuinely authentic and energetic as you without finding ways to fill from a natural source. And so I'm just uh, really grateful for how you show up in the world and how you do provide light for so many just by Thank you, you are. And so I want you to continue down this path of giving yourself empathy and grace and compassion because you deserve it. Because just because you can carry the weight, my friend, doesn't mean it's not that part. And so I, I really know for a fact that you're, you're finding the way to continue to make life lighter and continue to move. And it's super exciting to now have you in my life in some. Thank you. Same, same, same. Is there any closing thought you'd like to leave people with? Oh, my favorite thing is just to remind people, like, if, if no one has told you, you're doing a great job. I don't care where, where you're at in life. What are you doing? You are doing a great job and you are enough. I just want people to know that if more people knew that they were enough. We'd stop like, like you said, on that hamster wheel all day trying to do more and be more. You're already enough. You're already enough. So, Yeah. And as I have learned, the more I can be, the more I am. And that's the funny thing. It's not about the fight. It's about the surrender. So for all of you who just got glimmers of gold, absolute nuggets and bombs dropped by Dr. Lisa Folden, she brought her heart, her mind, her soul to be able to flip open her lid and go deep inside. She showed us what expectations, perfectionism and control can do in our lives and Even with the greatest intent, the greatest focus, and believing we're leading with heart, we can still slowly eat away at ourselves despite the fact that we're trying to feed ourselves so that we can continue to move. She has been able to understand the toxicity of shame and the complete removal of it to give herself permission to know that she's not just enough, but she is worthy of everything that she desires in her life and so are you but it requires you to be honest with yourself it requires you to have trust in realizing that dropping the armor will actually allow you to connect at a deeper level with you and everyone around you and it will allow you to get into a flow of life so that it can work for you versus feeling like you're constantly the victim and most importantly there is no victim there is or sorry there's no savior coming to get you but you can find guides so if you need help she's a great resource or reach out to anybody else that you think might add value into your world and until next time flip open your lid and scan your can